Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity may contain explicit and questionable content. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcaster Rebecca Adams and are not based on the advice of a licensed therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist. Listener discretion is strongly advised. What does ponder actually mean? Well, according to the dictionary, it means think about something carefully, especially before making a decision or reaching a conclusion. Well, as you know, on the Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity podcast episodes, we allow women to share their stories in a non-judgmental way about why they stepped out of their relationships. But there are so many other interesting topics that we all need to learn from and not to judge right away. So let's talk about it now. Let's ponder. Welcome everybody to Let's Ponder on Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity. I'm so excited to finally be able to release this episode. I was watching 2020 several months back, and I believe it was a previous season's episode, but it did catch my attention. I've always been a big true crime person, so of course watching 2020 would be normal, but this episode was a little different. It was also involving infidelity, and I watched the entire episode, and then I searched out the gentleman who was being interviewed, and his name was Mark Gerardo. And of course, he was the man that was involved in this, as they called it on 2020, I love triangle. But there was a lot more to the story than 2020 didn't really share. And I reached out to Mark and he agreed to come on to our podcast and talk a little bit about his story, as well as the book Irreparable that he had written regarding the whole situation that happened. So I had planned on running this show earlier this year, but because of the content and my recent passing of my husband, it was just a little bit of a sensitive subject at that time. I mean, it still is, but I needed some time to uh, build up some strength to be able to listen to Mark's story again as I began editing it. And so I'm at that point now where I was able to take care of it and get it out here for all of you to listen to. So let's get started. I would like to welcome Mark Gerardo, author of the book Irreparable. Thank you, Mark, for taking time to talk to me about your story. Well, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. I know we are coming up on the three-year anniversary of when your life completely changed. Um, just to give the listeners an idea, would you mind summarizing what transpired on that day, April 23rd, 2018? Sure. Um yeah, but without context, which I hopefully we'll get into. But the uh, the day of the twenty third, I had just moved um, to suburban Philadelphia. Um, my wife and I had moved from South Carolina um, most recently, and I had started a new job. Um, and it was day six of my new job, and I had been. Uh, for lack of a better term, dating uh, a woman who was not my wife. Um, my wife and I were um, headed towards a divorce, uh, an amicable divorce, was, which was my understanding. Um, and on the day of the 23rd of April, it was a day like any other day for the most part. I drove to 
left Delaware, where I commuted from, to Pennsylvania um, to this job. And on the way, I stopped by the house of the woman I was seeing, my girlfriend, as we can call her, um, Meredith. And I was dropping off just uh, what I thought was a sweet notion to drop off um, her favorite coffee drink from Starbucks was something that we had been doing for one another for six months. We had priorly, priorly, we had worked together prior um, at a, at the university of Delaware. And so that was kind of our tradition. So to be, I guess, somewhat cute, um, I picked up some coffee and brought it over to her house. And then I went on to work um, at, it was, uh, I worked for, a company that owned resorts in the Caribbean and in Mexico. And that had been my, my former life, um, marketing for hospitality. So it was kind of my, um, kind of getting back to my roots in this, in this new job. So, but generic, before I left the, the house that morning, I told her, Hey, are we still getting together today to, to talk? And, and that meant to talk about the divorce and talk about the terms. And we had, again, what I, what assumed and thought was an amicable end to a 24 year marriage. And uh, we were, while there was certainly a lot of emotion um, in, in the, in the weeks that I had you know, prior, we, we, we were being productive and I thought respectful of one another. So we had plans to get together for dinner. Um, and so I just said, bye, see you tonight. And, and so I went on my way to work. In the middle of the day, um, towards the end of the day, I checked in with her to see if she had chosen the restaurant. And she, she said, yeah, that new place um, there in the town that I'm, that I'm working. So, you know, I, I leave work at 5 o'clock or 5.30 and get to the restaurant and she's not there. And, and uh, I got us a table and, and she said she was running late. She'd sent me a text and said she was running late. And I didn't think much of it, so I ordered her a drink. Uh, we usually get uh, a glass of Cabernet, so I got her a glass of Cabernet and said, I guess your glass of Cabernet, I'm outside at the bar. And she said, okay. And then nothing, silence. And then finally, she comes on, or again, via text and says, I made a wrong turn, I'm going to be late. I was like, okay, well, I'm ordering food, so I ordered food. And then she sends me a text. Now we we have raised golden retrievers for our, our entire lives together, um, and so we had a golden retriever um, back at the apartment that we were living in. And she said, "Where's Huck? I knew you took Huck. I knew you were going to do this." So her fear and her thought was that I had taken our golden retriever, um, which was not part of our agreement. And I said, "Janera, I didn't. I didn't take Huck. I, I don't know what you're talking about." She had asked the neighbor upstairs to, to walk our dog because she was going to be out for the evening. Um, and so the neighbor couldn't find him in our apartment. And that was that was the theory that I had taken him. So 10 minutes go by and she texted me back and said, okay, she found him. But now I'm too upset. I'm not coming to dinner anymore. Mm-hmm. And then in all caps, go home. And I said, no, I'm... I've ordered drinks. I've ordered food. I'm going to sit here and, and enjoy this. And she, again, all caps, go home now. And I thought that was rather, rather strange. And I had been um, texting Meredith off and on while sitting there waiting. And she wasn't responding. 
um, tried calling her and again, no, and that was very rare because she had two, two phones and, um, one for work, one personal, and it was very rare that she wouldn't pick up. So, mm -hmm. but after that, that, you know, my wife's, um, series of texts, it was, it was rather strange. And anyway, so a few months go by and she sends me a photo of a pile of garbage and in the middle of the pile of garbage is, is a condom. And, and so what I could see for what I could tell and what she was trying to, the message she was trying to send me, it was that she was outside of Meredith's house with the other, she had gone through her, her garbage on the outside of her house and put it on the sidewalk and was going through it. And I thought, my God. And that's what I started texting Meredith frantically, like Janair's outside your house. Are you even home? Um, and then she sends me a text. My wife said, you ruined my life. She sends a second text that said, I hope you never find happiness. And then she sent me a third text that said, bye, Mark. Now, by that, I, I, I suspected that she had left, meaning she'd mm -hmm. been fed up um, with this whole divorce process and was just leaving town. Um, but at the same time, she had been over to Meredith's house going through her garbage. So I was concerned Meredith wasn't replying. So I jumped in the car and drove over there. It's about a 10, 15 minute drive, depending on traffic. And when I got there, I saw Meredith's car behind her house in the driveway where she normally parks. And so I, okay, she's home. And I, I knocked on the front door where I had dropped off coffee that, you know, 10 hours before that morning. Um, Wrapped on the door, she did not respond. Um, and I thought, okay, she's she's upset with me. My theory being that Janera and uh, Meredith had gotten into a clash of some kind, and Janera said some things and filled her head with a lot of um ideas. And and so I went around back um to see if I could rouse her or to, to knock on the door and to see if she was home. And um, when I peered through and the, uh, the back, the back door, um, and it still <clears throat> takes my breath away to get that vision and think about that moment. Meredith was um, laying face down on her kitchen floor, and uh, as I say, that began a moment of shock that I still live in today a lot. Um, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking, and I, I just didn't understand what was why she was laying on the floor and. Right, it was the right. first warm day of spring, and I thought, okay, she's she's passed out because it's warm outside, or I just couldn't. So I kept yelling and knocking on the door, yelling her name, Meredith, Meredith, and she wouldn't rouse. And by the third series of knocks, I, I realized that the door was ajar, and so I just pushed it open and walked in and found her laying on her on her floor, um, her leg cocked up strangely, her keys in one hand, uh, her phone in the other, and and I just was again trying to arouse her in, by shaking her a little bit and she was she was warm she was um but i was freaked out that she wasn't responding so i ran outside mm -hmm. the neighbor next door had been standing on his on his porch and i yelled for him i had met him two days prior to um please call 911 that meredith was down and she wasn't responding he came running over and he had dispatch on the on the, on the phone and they asked him to check her pulse. And he said there was 
no pulse. And and even though I heard all that, I was still convinced that no, 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 she's she's still alive. She's warm. Um, my God, somebody get her as, as soon as possible. I stayed with her and I talked with her and I rubbed her. I rubbed her hair. Um, because it's then, not real, you know. No, this, this doesn't happen real. in she's, life. She's, this she's, is somebody else's life that's happening, not your own. I, I don't think I even had that conscious thought. I was just in this Meredith's hurt. She's laying. She's laying here, and yeah. she's she's not conscious. I want her to to, to wake up. So I guess five or 10 minutes go by and the amount of time is, is just a blur. Um, and eventually the police told the people, the neighbor to get me out of the house. Um, and I wasn't going, I wasn't going to go, but they were very you know, adamant about it. And so finally I stood up from the crouching position over, over Meredith. And when I pivoted to my left about 10 feet away in a dark corner of the dining room, I saw this figure um, laying there in, in all black, in a black tracksuit, black shoes. Um, I didn't recognize any of that, but her face, it took me two, three seconds, and I finally realized it was it was Janera. And she, I ran over to her, um, and I saw that there was, there was a wound, um, all, an entrance wound behind her ear. And it was... Um, and I said, oh, baby, oh, baby, oh, baby, what have you done? What have you done? And so at some level, I guess I did have uh, an understanding of what happened, but I, I, I still didn't. And so they whisked me away, um, put me in the black of a, of a squad car, and eventually I was, I was in custody, um, um, suspect number one. And then seven and a half hours later of, of grilling and waiting and being locked up, um, I was, I was, uh, I was let go that evening. So that, that's that was, the 23rd. That's the, the day. So let's go back. How, how did you meet your wife, Janair? My wife and I met, um, yeah, we were teenagers. Um, I was 18. She was 16. Um, and uh, I was ordering Taco Bell of all things in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where we both grew up. And, I she just she, I was I couldn't speak. I was so um, amazed by her, her, her beauty, her presence, um, and uh, so that's how we unofficially met. We didn't actually talk um, at all. We just exchange, exchanged um, glances with mm-hmm. one another, and then four years later, um, we were both getting our cars worked on at a shop, and sitting next. I instantly recognized her. Um, that she was that woman. And, and, and I knew her name was Janair when in 1986, when she was at Taco Bell, she had this, this name tag on and that just names just you don't hear that name. So it kind of sticks no. with you. Mm-hmm. So um, she looked at me sitting in the waiting room, getting our cars worked on. And she said, you're a Gerardo, aren't you? And I said, you're, you're Janair Cox. And yeah, that was kind of the, as they say in the movies, the meet cute where mm-hmm. we, officially met in, in, in a romance um, that lasted 28 years um, started. So yeah, that's how, I'm, how we met. Well, and as I watched um, the episode, so we saw more pictures of her, um, you know, this is everything. She looks happy, beautiful. She's so beautiful. She seemed so confident, energetic, positive, just from the way she looked, um, you know, all of that. So, you know, from an outside 
point of view, one would never have seen that she was struggling so bad right. behind it all. Um, you were married for 24 years, you said, but you were together right. for 28. 28 right. um, and, and I understand you had said from the beginning, she's always had a real strong personality. And that mm -hmm. was what attracted you to her. You appreciate that. But at what point did you really start noticing maybe was it getting worse or was it that you were starting to just realize maybe, hey, I'm a this is a 50 50 relationship. Uh, you know, was it right away or was it years into the marriage? Yeah, pretty early on. I mean, again, what I what I saw were things I didn't know about her. I saw, uh, you know, reactions to things and and, you know, I. I had thrown some things away of hers when she moved in originally. And they yeah. were just old catalogs and magazines from 10, right. 15 years ago. And I thought, we have a 450 square feet apartment. We can't have these things laying around. So I took it upon myself mm -hmm. to put those in the dumpster. And it was, it was, a, I it had down. to be a part for that. And she really lost mm -hmm. it. And uh, yeah. not only did I see a side of her I hadn't seen before and losing her temper, but also being attached to things that, one shouldn't be attached to. And that sure. continued on for, for years. Those, those particular magazines and, and catalogs were with us for 20 plus years since then. So, and they just kept stacking up. Right. Um, yeah, I, 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 they were idiosyncrasies and I just I looked past them thinking, okay, these are frustrating things that I'm sure I have my own things as well. And they just kept stacking up. And then one of the bigger ones that I guess I really should have been the flag that that changed things was just her ability or lack thereof to get along with people. Mm -hmm. My friends at first, um, but even her own colleagues in, in her career, she, she just, she just couldn't get along with people because she didn't have a filter. I was just going to say filter <laughs> was that yeah, lacking there. And you, yeah. She, she just said everything that she ever wanted to say without anyone mm -hmm. caring. Now, again, at the beginning, that was attractive. My God, this girl speaks her mind and she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. That's the opposite of me. And gosh, dude, opposite, opposites attract. And that's beautiful in the right place at the right time. But when it's all the time and in the wrong place, you get yourself into trouble. Um, so I often couldn't go out with her with people because she would just say the wrong thing. And I was always just burying my head. Um, mm. Those were signs, again, somewhat early on. And instead of doing something about it, I just adjusted my life. I, you know, let friends go. Um, we didn't go out. We stayed in, which is all that she ever wanted. She didn't want to be or have mutual friends together and go out. Um, and so I just adjusted. Um, we both adjusted our lives and, and that's the life that we lived. I wasn't happy um, completely, but it's I don't know. I, it's what we signed up for, I guess. And I was just, I'm, I'm, I'm a meanable guy. A lot of the times easy going and go with the flow. Um, and that's what I did. Well, and it, and I know that you had talked about, she just wanted it. Just you guys, you, you, you guys, yeah. nobody else yeah. at home. You don't need anybody else, but me. And that, that need to, of course, then control everything at that point in time. Right. Um, Right. So you're going through this, these years go by, you know, you guys with work and pets and all these different things, ups and downs, and then boom, your new job and enter Meredith. Um, when you met Meredith, did you just have that feeling? Did you just know that you were going to have a connection with her and couldn't you, you just all. couldn't turn away from it or? That, that, is, that is 
not at all the, the way it happened. I, you know, she was my boss, Meredith. And right. I had such professional respect for her. When I first met her during the interview, I actually had concerns um, of working for someone who was so much younger than I and had so much less experience. Mm-hmm. And when she opened her mouth and she was just like, wow, who is this person? She was so articulate and so intelligent. And I realized pretty quickly there are some things that I was going to learn by being a part mm-hmm. of this. And so we kind of made a pact, even think, I think during our interview, that we are going to change things. She was looking for a partner, even though I would be reporting to her, she was looking for a partner. So from a professional point of view, I was just enamored with her. I think I can say um, that she was appreciative of, of, of what I had accomplished in my career. Um and so together, we thought we were just going to be a fantastic team. And it wasn't until, you know, many weeks later, um, when we were just having a personal conversation that we started to see something in one another. So it took a while. And even though it was fast, I, by, by any standards of, of, of uh, any relationship, it was fast. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't instantly, as, as you, uh, what you asked, yeah. Okay. And so when you guys realized, hey, we've kind of developed some feelings here and it's mutual, you know, what was it that Meredith did for you as far as how did she make you feel that, I mean, here you're looking at two different relationships, Mm -hmm. polar opposites from what I can, from what I read. And, you know, what was it about Meredith you think, aside from her professionalism that really attracted you to her? How did she make you feel? She made me feel... Incredible. And, and, and one of the things I didn't really say about the marriage uh, that I was in for 24 years, and anybody who came into contact with Janair, you were automatically a bad person. You were automatically going to screw her over. You were automatically, mm-hmm. um, and she, she, she just was always afraid that someone was going to hurt her um, or do damage to her. And sure. so I, I got treated, and again, it's something I just... I just got used to was the kind of treatment she would call me names, even though I, I just, you know, awful names. She was emasculating. She, um, if you can edit this out, but she would call me pussy a lot of the time. And, 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 mm-hmm. and just because she knows what that would do to me. And it did. And she pushed my buttons. Um, but she didn't respect me. She didn't, all, all she saw were the negatives, right. and the bad things that I that I had done that I couldn't do. She t- said I was terrible at money. I was terrible that I couldn't manage people, and all the things. Those are all the things that Meredith were like. My God, you're so good with people. You you can you're managing 12, 19 people. Um, you're changing things. You're doing a fantastic job. And she respected my career and and she would lift me up. And it was mm-hmm. so great. Again, everybody wants to be told they're doing a good job, and it, sure. it wasn't much an ego stroke as much as it was just a stark contrast from the life I had lived. And we started seeing something in one another. And I started seeing, gosh, life can be so much different and so much better. Um, and that's what I saw in her. Mm-hmm. And so um, as a person myself who has experienced that more times than once that I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, I make it clear, it's no secret on my end, but here you are, you're having these feelings. Then you go home. Now you're back at home. How did it change the way that you saw Janair even more dramatically? You were able to actually kind of have more of an, oh my gosh, kind of a moment of, eh. yeah. 
unfortunately, Janair had been unemployed for 18 years and she was in a different place in her life and her career and life was not good to her at that point. And she kind of blamed everybody else and blamed me, blamed herself at somewhat, but also blamed the world for her being unsuccessful in this moment. And she was just um, upset. She was depressed. And mm-hmm. at one point she was, again, she was 47 years old, not quite, not even at the time, 46. And she was ready to retire. She said, I don't even want to work anymore. I just want to retire and, and just live, you know, and, and that's not the life we had lived. And it's not that we, our household was set up to be able to support that. Um, and so I, I just saw the side of her that it was just spiraling out of control in a very slow way. She was already on a course for, I don't know what was going to happen. Um, yeah. It wasn't attractive, that's for sure. It wasn't okay. the side of her that I fell in love with. So Meredith was married when you Correct. met her and you were married. Yeah. And with Janair suspecting something was going on, she had filmed a, you had said she had recorded a conversation between you and Meredith and went and played it for her husband, which that's then right. in turn, Meredith's husband then divorced her. So she's getting out of that relationship, but you're still married. Mm-hmm. How far before... And and I know it says probably in the book, which I promise I did read, but just for people who are listening, you know, did you start to realize why does she have this information? I mean, she, when she found out, I mean, she was hurt. She was sure. angry. Um, sure. Well, what did she, when you finally said that to her on New Year's that you were done mm-hmm. and you were over with, did she seem shocked or did she seem like she was expecting it? She was very shocked. And I, leading up to that, you know, her finally pushing my buttons again, calling me, just tell me, you fucking pussy. Mm-hmm. What was leading up to that was like, I can take it. Whatever it is you're trying, you're holding back from me, I can take it. Just rip the bandaid off. You know, this very nonchalant, strong woman saying, tell me what you're, what you're obviously struggling with. And then when I said it, you could just see it washing over here and the fear and the, the, anger and everything else. And I tried to put the genie back in the bottle as soon as I could. I'm like, I said that. I'm not sure I meant it. I don't know what I mean. Sure. Um, and I was just and mad so, and I said something. <laughs> right. Well, then she, she pushed my buttons and, and made me say something that I wasn't prepared to say, which is exactly mm-hmm. how she planned it. And she did control me. It was, she knew how to do that to me. And um, yeah, so I just blurted it out. Had she, you know, throughout your relationship, throughout your marriage, I know, I mean, with her personality of just wanting to blame other people and do all those things, how, had she ever been diagnosed with any type of border uh, personality? No, I I, I will say the one thing she was diagnosed with, and this was five years prior to 2018, um, to 2013, she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. Now that's an autoimmune disease. Um, for your thyroid and your hormones in production and that in and of itself can cause and in this case certainly did cause uh, a fair amount of depression um Mm -hmm. it lost a lot of weight she lost she was starting to lose her hair um Mm -hmm. her face was was starting to in in her in her mind in her eyes she was starting to age um Mm -hmm. she just didn't like the person that she was that was looking back in the mirror from her at all and so all that had an effect on her but no, I mean, up until the point where I filed for, I was about to file for divorce, um, she went to a psychiatrist 
and he diagnosed her with PTSD. So those are the really only two official diagnoses. So PTSD for what happened? Just the trauma of, of being, well, you know, certainly the infidelity piece of it, her discovering the way she did and then obsessing over it the way she did. Um, And then me just in general saying, I want a divorce. All those events put together, um, she was diagnosed with PTSD and then put on and put on Zoloft. Okay. And so she's at rock bottom now and Mm -hmm. she's got all this time on her hands. So all she can do is sit there and fester and she, it just went overboard and and continue to, to record plant devices Uh in my car, plant devices in, in every one of my clothes. And then she broke into my office at the university and I can only assume she broke into Meredith's office as well. She had bought a lock picking kit and it just was again, spiraling out of control the things that she was doing and no one knew about. And you wouldn't have ever suspected that. No. I mean, again, I think Jenner was a strong person. She was a vocal person and she spoke her mind, but this takes her to a a completely different level. for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here you guys are, you're split up. You can't divorce because of the situation with your residence, right? Right. And, but you agree to go to couples counseling, mm-hmm. even though you were wanting to have a divorce. Were you doing that just to placate her? No. Uh, so again, that, but when that happened, divorce was not spoken. It was, yes, okay. I'm in love with Meredith and I don't know what I want to do about it. It was, was a statement that I made. I'm in love with her and I don't know, I don't know how it happened and I don't know what I want to do about it. How did this happen? What does it say about us? And so going into therapy was for me to find some resolution at the end or you know, a repair um, to our marriage. Whereas Janair was, I want to fix this. I want him to stop seeing Meredith. We had completely different goals going into it. Okay. And it wasn't really until, you know, the many months, that, the weeks that went by that it was started to become clear to me that divorce was um, imminent and, and even even not, um, it wasn't until my divorce attorney um, heard about all the things that Janair was doing in the recording devices, the GPS devices, the the following us. Um, it, it, was, it was just, she's like, you cannot fix this marriage. It has gone too far. Mm-hmm. You can never trust one another again. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, do you really want to live a life like that? And I said, no, we can't. And so that's when it convinced me to, and this was... Um, three weeks before um, the murder-suicide that I spoke to my lawyer and then decided at that point to file for a divorce. So you guys were sleeping in separate bedrooms at this point in time. Yes. And that was during, at what point did she, what point did she move um, out of, you know, the marriage bed to the other room or was it you that left? I I did. I did. And I was notorious just over the course of our marriage for not wanting to sleep in the bed that I prefer to sleep on the couch and fall asleep to TV. That was kind of my MO. Um, Uh But we officially, I officially moved into a different bedroom in in, in Delaware kind of right after, you know, New Year's after it started deteriorating. And um, yeah. And and so we were not in the same bed. So it's four months is going by. She's struggling. You can't Mm -hmm. decide if you want to, you know, stick with this marriage. You know, she's really (laughs) <laughs> really having a difficult time. You're loving yeah. the life with Meredith. You're looking forward to it. You're excited. Did you yeah. become intimate with your wife again during those few months? No, no. So back before she 
had irrefutable proof of um, that I was, in fact, in love with Meredith. And she had all the recordings, and I didn't know that. She cloned my phone, and she just had this arsenal oh. of, of uh, proof. And I finally, in February, said, I'm in love with Meredith. I, I can't deny it anymore. And it felt so good to, mm-hmm. to kind of get that out. Um, from that point on, no. We, we had already stopped sleeping together. But in January, is part of her... Um, activity to, to, to find the truth. She actually seduced me, um, worked really hard. And I thought if I fight this, it is going to be a very clear sign that I am, I'm, you know, that I'm not interested in her, that I'm interested in someone else. So I mm-hmm. kind of went along with it. And as one can do, you go kind of go through the motions and, and uh, mechanics of it. And she even said that afterwards, that was not you, that was mechanical. But I noticed something, and this is not in the book, and I don't tell a lot of people this. I noticed something after I noticed her phone on the nightstand face down. And that was odd. And I, I, I couldn't get that image out of my head. And so in the middle of the night, I walked back in there and lifted up her phone. And sure enough, there was a recording called Sex With Me. And my thought was, here it is. She's going to just use this as ammunition. Absolutely. Yep. And send it to Meredith and, 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 and just put an end to it. And uh-huh. I thought that was, yeah. So, so it did. To answer your question, yes, we had sex one more time after January, in January. Um, but that was that was it. Had she ever had moments of infidelity herself in the marriage, or are you fairly sure she had just been with you? I'm very sure she had not. Yeah, because that's just no. not who she, who she was. Yeah, a lot of the things that you wrote about, um, from the beginning even to the end, I could relate to some mm-hmm. of the way Janair was in younger with the controlling. I see myself a little bit in certain things, and I would read the book and I'd go, "Oh my gosh." But I grew out of that as I got older. You just, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you start to realize the world is bigger than what you grew up with mm-hmm. and, and you start to be able to get more comfortable with people in yourself. But I married young and my first sure. husband, um, he, he had a lot of those control things just like that. The name calling, putting you down, you're stupid, you won't know. What did he used to say to me? You are... Um, Mm-hmm. stupid and only you know what did he say you're ignorant which that's one thing i'm not um and you only use three brain cells mm-hmm. you know i mean stupid stuff like that and you can't say the word this way you have to say it this way or you have to pass the salt and pepper this way not this hmm. way anything i did wrong yeah. there was no living it down you just couldn't live it down mine was loading the dishwasher i couldn't load the dishwasher mm-hmm. the right way she would redo it right. all Pack a car, go on a trip, she would unpack it and repack it her way. Yeah. Instead of just saying, hey, as long as we get from point A to point B, we're good. But when you do make, I got in a bad car accident. Um, I made a left turn. I had missed my turn. I made a left turn. Didn't see the car coming. Did a head on. Um, The the back window of the passenger side shattered into our daughter's um, car seat. She wasn't with me, thankfully, but she would have been hurt. Um, 
no air, you know, my father, of course, kisses the airbag, mm-hmm. thankful yeah. his daughter's alive, while his son-in-law is browbeating mm-hmm. me and I didn't live it down. And he had same kind of emotional, just, oh, you just couldn't quite understand. And he ultimately killed himself wow, as well. That. And that was, that was the only time it was when I could finally say, I could finally put that damn car accident mm-hmm. to rest because now I don't have to listen to it anymore. I don't have to be constantly reminded of my own failures. And so as I read your story, aside from I haven't had to deal with a murder-suicide, my daughter was with him when he committed suicide. She was poisoned. She, you know, to this day, yeah, he did carbon monoxide. He um, went in the garage. She, We were separated, and she um, was in bed asleep. He went to the garage. He started his car so he didn't wake up. She just, she didn't, she didn't, wasn't killed. Is that what you're saying? That's what, what was that with what? You you said that she, the daughter was, your daughter was with him. So he was attempting murder suicide for sure. He could have been definitely. She was asleep. Um, she came out, she was three years old Mm -hmm. and she found him. And so here she is outside trying to wake her dad up with, you know, in all that toxin. And she, you know, I thank God that I was able to get the police over there when I did. I can't get a hold of these people. Where's my daughter? You know, she was poisoned. Um, and it continues on the depression, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And that's another story with her. But um, it, 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 I don't know what I'm trying to kind of say here, but other than I can understand a lot of what you, we're feeling throughout your marriage that might want to push you into somebody who is going to treat you with respect and be kinder to you. And, you know, taking a step further in your book, here she is. She's taken Meredith's life, this beautiful woman. Then she took her own as the biggest fuck you to Mark because she's got this control now. She's got you. She got that last word. She did. And that was, and then she wrote that is you, you may know, and the readers need to know is that, there was a 13 page manifesto um, of everything of her grievances, not only with me, but with her parents, with her college professors, with everyone who had ever done anything wrong. Um, And then she also Mm -hmm. went on to, you know, in great detail, spell out exactly how she was going to perform and what, you know, what she was going to do. Um, (sighs) And then she just followed that to the T and flawless but for so long she just couldn't take accountable that she could be responsible for anything in her life going wrong like you said she pointed her fingers to everybody which is heartbreaking you know that she has this uh potential this Mm -hmm. smart woman to do so much but she couldn't get past whatever it was that everybody was against her you know whether it be physiologically whatever it was that caused her to be like this Um, And then, you know, following this, now you're dealing with both of them are gone. Mm -hmm. So final. It's just the most final thing in the world. You can't change anything. I mean, you can't go back and say anything. It's just done. And then you become the pariah. All of a sudden, it's your fault that all this happened from both sides of the, both women's families. Everybody started blaming you. Yeah. And, and well, oh, sure. 
the judge. Yeah. Well, and that's part of why I do my podcast regarding the infidelities. I say no judgment. Everybody just shut up a minute and listen to the whole story before you decide. Mm-hmm. Mark didn't put that gun in that woman's hand to go kill her. Right. You know, she didn't, he didn't force her. Janaire made that conscious choice to do it herself, whether she was mentally fit or not. And if it hadn't have been then, it, it could have been you. I mean, she, like you had said in the book, she had practiced. She did. She stood, over, she stood over me and, and with a, with a uh-huh. gun and, and pulled the trigger multiple times. Right. Um, and sadly, how Meredith was just a collateral damage in this situation, yeah. um, knowing how people who are in that state of mind, like my first husband, he would threaten to kill us all. I'm going to run us off the road. And I remember saying to him, if you're going to kill yourself, leave us out of it. You just do it yourself kind of a thing. And, you know, so I think, I mean, this is just my opinion that if it wasn't, then it was going to be at some point in time, she was going to be going down that road. Funny, But it's interesting you say that because if you're, and obviously you've had some experience with my psychologist, multiple that I've had, said the same thing. If it wasn't this trigger, it was going to be a, another trigger mm-hmm. because, and I'll say this, it was not the infidelity. I know this, this show that you, you talk about is about um, affairs and infidelity. It, it certainly was a shock to her, but it wasn't the reason she killed herself and, and Meredith. It was her inability to see a future for herself. She didn't have mm-hmm. value. She didn't have um a sense of value of, her, of herself and her abilities. And again, mm-hmm. blaming everyone else, blaming Meredith for her life being ruined. Um, right. It was our, the potential that Meredith and I were going to go on and live a happy life together is the reason she, she, she killed her, not because right. of the infidelity. I think that's important. No. And yes, no, I think, no. And I understand. And I agree with that um, because yeah, from what, I read and everything. It was, they did this to me. They caused this. They did this. And, you know, I know that it's still kind of fresh. I mean, not quite three years. That's still new. And um, working through forgiveness of yourself, how are you doing with that? It it is an ongoing evolution um, and it it helps. And I've had a ton of... um, therapy, you know, weekly therapy since for two and a half years. And, and I don't know where I'd be without that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there are days and I, I, I accept my responsibility and for, for what I did and for hurting her. And, and there are ways to go about ending a marriage. I did not follow that script. I, I would, took the coward's way out and, and didn't tell her and I lied. And, you know, part of my reason for writing the book and continue to talk about this, because I want other people to to not make the same uh, that I, that I made into that there is another way to end um, a relationship if you need to end it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I will say the most, I guess the most um, satisfying part of, of, of the work I've done thus far are the people that do reach out and said, you know, I, I, I've been through this and, and I feel you and, and like, just like your story, which is very, very similar, but there are people that are in the middle of an affair and there's a woman just last week who saw the rerun of the 2020 show and she was in the middle of an affair and stopped it immediately and said, we need to talk. What do I need to do to get out of this? And I thought, wow, that is such direct impact uh, mm-hmm. that the story has had. And, and so I think that continues to, to happen 
um, all the time um, through multiple channels of people reaching out to me and, and asking me questions. And I'm, and I'm happy to, to serve in that capacity because I, it's the only thing mm -hmm. I can do. I can't undo what happened, but I can help others. Right. And that's, that's my goal. And that's kind of where I come from, you know, with this and my own past is if I can do something good for somebody else out of something that went bad, if I can make a difference going forward, that is, it's so good to feel that, you know, maybe you've helped somebody else. I know I just said that, I'm repeating no, it, but. It's, it's, oh, um, it's powerful. It, oh, it is. And it's like, it makes you want to keep going that way. And I do believe that is part of part of your recovery and your healing. Yeah. At least it is for me. Every person that I can touch and make a difference with and talk about the things that people are going to tell them they're horrible people about. Right. But here I am saying, no, let's there's reasons here. Let's find out why. And it makes a difference. That's worth it all to me, you know, and um, you've done a lot in these last couple of years, you've gone through so much, something that you never would have expected to have happened no. in your entire life. And, you know, I, your book definitely is good. It's good writing. Yeah. It doesn't get boring. It's, it's intense. And I think that a lot of my listeners really, really need to consider reading this book. Um, just because, to any choices we make in life, there's always going to be a consequence, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And, um, you know, for them to look at this big picture and see, you know, in life, how things can go. So where can, um, where can people get your book? Yeah, it's available through Amazon. It is available through other retailers. And I really don't know all those retailers and where they are throughout the world, actually. Um, but definitely Amazon is a place you can, you can, get it. Um, it's the fastest, easiest way. You can download it for Kindle um, and you can also um, buy the actual book. I am in the process of contemplating doing an audible book, but it'll be a few months before that's available. Well, that's great. And and one other, I have a question. And, and I, the reason why I ask this is because as you've heard my format mm -hmm. um, for uh, anonymity reasons, mm -hmm. and privacy and security and all of that, women are sending me their stories. I'm reading them. So we change names just to keep it, keep them safe. Mm -hmm. um, but stories that I get from both the men and women, I'm told, oh my gosh, this was so therapeutic mm -hmm. to just write it out. And I imagined you felt that way after you finished this book. It was, it was, you know, my intent was not to write a book at, at, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I, I was, you know, there were a close circle of friends who were checking up on me and calling every day and I was calling them and they were the people I go to, but you can only say I'm hurting so many times to somebody and they, I, I imagine they were growing weary of, of hearing all the things I was going through. And so I just was starting to feel bad. So I picked up a, uh, a journal and just started writing and just getting it out and getting it out and saying the things I would normally want to say to somebody. I was just saying them to, to the journal and it got to be thicker and thicker and thicker. And then one day I walked into my therapist and I told him I was journaling and I said, do you want to hear something? And I started to, to read to him and he stopped me and he says, this, this needs to be a book. My God, what you've gone through, it's a one in a million chances that's going to happen to someone else. But what the, the steps leading up to that are, are very common. And I think what you've gone through can, you can help so many people. I encourage you to write the book and turn this into a book. And I just was not convinced. Um, but the more I wrote it and finished it and, and then I said, okay, I think this, this actually can help some people as a few other people read the manuscript. Um, and had that same feeling. And so that, that helped me to, that others were encouraging me to do it. It still was a leap of faith. Um, 
because certainly there are mm-hmm. and will continue to be detractors from that. And mostly it's people who haven't read the book um, and they have made up their mind already. Um, but if you read the book, you, you get the full story. Um, and I'm not trying to convince mm-hmm. anybody, but I think there's a lot to learn from that. And, and as you know, after reading the book, I take my lumps. I, um, I, I, I take my blame for, for what happened and, and own up to it. And I'm trying to live a better exactly. life because of that. Well, and I think when a person is able to own up for things that they've done wrong, that just is so much more freeing. You know, you, you can work on forgiving yourself when you own up to it. When you're in denial, you just can't. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you so much taking the time to talk with me about this well, painful and it's that. such an important message. Um, mental health you know, is something that so many people suffer with. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people out there that think it's not even real, you know, oh, it's in their head. Well, literally, you know, and it's important, right? It's an important that awareness continues to be made to help people understand that it's just as serious, if not worse than a physical ailment that you can see. Um, And it can involve, you know, hurting others instead of just yourself and your own body when mental is, is there. So, you know, hopefully we reach a lot of people that understand and people who are listening, maybe who have felt like Janair, maybe they need to understand that it's okay to get help. There's nothing wrong with it. I myself am on antidepressants. I see therapists myself and it's not anything to be ashamed about, but you do have to take that step to be able to admit that you've got something going on and it's no, I'm fine. He's the one making me crazy. Right. No, <laughs> how are we going to process? What is it about him? That's making mm-hmm. you crazy kind of a thing. So I'm going to have the links to um, Amazon, your website and all of that on my episode notes and on my Facebook page. Okay. And then that way, my listeners definitely, I recommend this big time that they, that they check this out. And I've had several authors on this show, but this is the first one, um, of this matter and this seriousness. And, um, and I know you're a busy man and I, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and, and do this. Absolutely. I think I'm, I, I'm proud of what you're doing as well. And I'll continue to be a listener. I, you, I'm glad. Thanks for reaching out. We're both doing yes. good work. Amen on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that. Okay, bye-bye. That was an amazing interview, and I really do appreciate Mark's time. I hope you guys have the opportunity to get his book. And I bought it uh, for my Kindle before I was to interview him to understand more about his story. Um. And like I had mentioned at the beginning, I had come across his story by watching 2020. And I thought, you know what, there are so many different variables in this. I want more information. I want to meet this person. I want to talk with him. And he was kind enough uh, to give me his time. But he wanted me to read that book first. Because Things got edited on 2020, and and things may have come across a little bit differently than when it, what what he had intended it to be. So I kind of wanted to be able to put it out there for him to get the record straight um, and share it with my listeners. And again, the book is irreparable, and I will have a link to his website. You can also purchase it on Amazon, but I will have those links on my episode notes. Uh, so definitely support Mark, take a look at this book, read it, understand. I think a lot of us will be able to relate in some form. Uh, 
to his story. So again, Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything. Thank you all so much for listening today. And if you have any suggestions for any future Let's Ponder episodes, or perhaps you have a story you would like to share for our Raw Truth or Patreon episodes, send me an email, rebecca.rawtruth at gmail.com. You can also visit my website, rawtruthstoriesoffemaleinfidelity.com. You can message me from there. You can download the story guides uh, that will help you create your story. Well, form your story, not create. And uh, you can vote for me for the Hot 50 Countdown. You can check out the merch store. All of those things right from my website. Um, If you're new to the podcast and you're not sure what I'm talking about, so the regular Raw Truth episodes, those are of the women who have been unfaithful, those that are brave enough to want to go ahead and share their stories as to what happened, which led them to the infidelity. Uh, As far as Patreon goes, that is our bonus uh, extra content part of the podcast. It's $3 a month uh, pledge. Um, You get two extra episodes a month plus early access to the regular episodes and um, my blooper reel. But those stories are of the men's side of what they went through when their spouse or partner cheated on them. So we're hearing the men's side of the female infidelity. So it's real interesting because you're looking at different angles of what happens. So that you can sign up for on my website at, again, rawtruthstoriesoffemaleinfidelity.com. Next week, we're actually going to have a special episode. It is a Patreon episode, one that has been talked about by many people. And I felt it was necessary and important to go ahead and bring it out onto the regular platform. So everybody will be able to take a listen to the episode called Steve. It was about Steve and Karen. And if you follow me on Facebook or you've listened to other episodes in the past, you'll hear that that specific episode has been referenced quite a bit. So I wanted to bring it out for everybody to have the opportunity to listen to. So that will be on next week's regular Raw Truth episode. But until next time, be kind to one another, love each other, Just be patient. We're all going through so much in our lives every day. And always remember, no judgment. Goodbye.